Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we'll be looking at verses 14, 15, and 16. I hope you brought your copy of God's Word with you. If you have not been able to do that, there are copies of the Bible in the hymn rack in front of you. It is of the same translation that I read from, which is the New American Standard. And we're looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. The title of the message is A New Communication. As you know, we're following a theme of new life. Uh, when a person becomes a Christian, he becomes a new creature, a creation. Uh, the Lord gives to him spiritual life. Paul tells us prior to our conversion to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sin, but Christ came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And so as we have a physical birth, so we have a spiritual birth and we receive new life, a whole new life given to us. And so we're following what it means to be a Christian, how to become one. Uh, our first message had to do with the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And uh, as you've had a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth. Uh, then we looked at a new, uh, a, a new co a confidence on not only that you know that you're saved, but that you cannot lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Doesn't mean that you're given a license to just go and now do whatever you want to and escape the consequences of it. No, it just means that once you trust Christ as your savior, you become a born again child of God. You are saved and you can never lose your salvation. You have that confidence. Today, we're looking at a new communication that now that you are a born again child of God, you have the privilege and the opportunity uh, to call upon the Lord at any time about any matter that you're dealing with. And you have a, an open communication with the Lord, the freedom to share with the Lord whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever need you have. You can communicate that with the Lord. The communication I'm referring to, of course, is prayer. Uh, praying to the Father. So today we're looking at a new communication, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I'll begin reading with verse 14. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, when it says that he has passed through the heavens, remember that in the Jewish mind, there are three heavens, the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. Paul, you remember over in Corinthians, tells us about the time that he was caught up into the third heaven. The first heaven is what we call our atmosphere, our environment. This is where we live, where the birds fly around and so forth. The second heaven is what we call outer space. It's just everything that's out there in the vast expanse of the universe. The third heaven is beyond all of that, and that's where the Lord resides. And it's the third heaven. And so Paul said that he was caught up into the third heaven, and he witnessed things that defied human description. There were not enough words in the Greek language for him or Latin or any other term or English that could adequately describe the experience that Paul had and what he witnessed when he went to the third heaven and saw a glimpse of, of what heaven is like. And uh, so lest he be puffed up with pride, Paul tells us that a thorn in the flesh was given to him. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. I'm glad we don't. 
because if he were hunched back or, or had ice problems, couldn't see very well or whatever it was, uh, then we would say, well, only people who have eye problems could get the grace of God. The only person who had a physical disability could get the blessings of the Lord because he did not name it then whatever our concern may be, whatever our thorn in the flesh may be, we can go to the Father and talk to him about it. But nonetheless, he went to the third heaven. And so here when it says in verse 14 that our Lord passed through the heavens, where was he when he died? Where was he when he rose from the dead? Well, he was here on the earth. But then he passed through the heavens. Now, it didn't take him eons of years to do that. Just like that, if not quicker, he left this earth and was in the presence of the Father. And that will happen to us as well. It doesn't take you forever. It doesn't take you, you don't have to get on a spaceship or a satellite and work our way through all the galaxies that are out there, the millions and trillions of them that are there to get to the third heaven to be with the Lord. When you die, you go immediately into the presence of the Father. And where is he? In the presence of the Son? He's in paradise. Where is paradise? Paradise is anywhere Jesus is. That's where it is. And so we go to be with him immediately. And so this is what it says that our Lord, he passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, Rutyard Kipling uh, took the four interrogative pronouns in the English language and used them in a little doggery, a little witty, humorous way of expressing it to say that these were the six little men who helped me to know and understand the things that I was trying to know and understand. This is the way he put it. I keep six honest serving men they taught me all I know their names are what and why and when and how and where and who so I want to take these six interrogative pronouns and use them to talk about prayer talking about prayer Paul or the writer of Hebrews tells us and encourages us that we have the wonderful opportunity to pray so let's look at these six words as they apply to prayer. The first word that I want to use is what. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about, and the writer of Hebrews is, the privilege of prayer. The privilege of prayer. Notice he says in verse 14, let us come. Let us come. The New International Version says, let us approach. And the Williams translation says, let us continue to come. So by using the terms continue coming or continue to come, he's talking about an ongoing process, an ongoing privilege. This is not just a one-time opportunity that you have. It is an ongoing privilege, an ongoing opportunity that anytime, anywhere, any place about anything that you are concerned about, if it is a concern for you, it is a concern of the Father, and you can pray to the Father 
on a continuous, ongoing basis. And if you don't get the answer the first time, then you pray again. Pray without ceasing, the Apostle Paul says. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege that we have. And, and prayer is what is called the approach to God. That's how we approach to God. We approach God by praying to Him. We get closer to the Lord and draw closer to Him when we pray. The word approach could also be translated a, a path, a way. You remember what uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we go to the Father, we approach him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is the path that leads us and it helps us to make contact with God. Now back in what we call the Old Testament times in, in past histories, when kings ruled various nations and so forth with a dictatorial type spirit and attitude. In those days, not just anyone could approach the king. In ways, that's true today. I mean, uh, take our president, for example. You, you cannot just go up to the Washington, D.C. and to the White House and open the door and go in. You'd probably be arrested and thrown in jail and other things could happen to you or to the Queen of England, or to anybody of, of renowned importance. You don't just walk into them. You have to go because of, you've been invited. And so that was the way it was in the Old Testament times. An example of this is Esther, the book of Esther. Uh, you know, Esther's uncle came to, to her and warned her uh, that Haman was going to see to it that all of the Jews would be uh, wiped out. They would just be exterminated. And uh, he was uh, preparing a, a, a hangman's uh, noose uh, for them to be hung, I guess, one at a time. And, uh, and uh, Esther's uh, uh, uncle said to her, uh, who knows but what God has brought you to this point in history. He has brought you to this hour at this time. You need to go before the king and, and, uh, uh, and intercede for your own people. She was a Jew. And her king was a pagan, uh, uh, her, her husband was a pagan king. And, uh, and you, even the wife, even Esther could not go see her husband unless he invited her. And so she said, well, uh, if it's my family, my, my people are at stake, their lives are at stake, then I'll risk my own life. And if I go into his presence, if he would extend his scepter to her, toward her, that would be an indication she would be welcome to come in. And if he didn't, boy, she would be in trouble. And thankfully, of course, when she went to see her husband, King Asherias, then he, uh, he extended the, the scepter to her and she was welcomed into his presence. Well, we don't have to go through that in order to approach the throne of grace. Uh, we, we have a standing invitation. It is a privilege at any time we can approach the throne of grace and pray to the Father. There are two examples, quickly let me give them to you. One of course would be Abraham. You remember when uh, Abraham was visited by the three angels and uh, uh, they informed Abraham that uh, they were been sent by the Lord to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they started to go away, uh, uh, Abraham began to intercede for them and he, he didn't ask permission today. He started praying to the Father and, and one of the angels we believe may have even been the Lord Jesus himself, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And uh, he said, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people, would you spare the cities? Yes. Uh, how about 45? Yeah, 40, 30, 20, 10. If you could find 10 righteous people in those cities, would you spare the cities? Yes, I will, he said. 
So he didn't have to have a special invitation or special authorization uh, to go before the throne of grace. He just immediately started praying. Moses had a similar experience. He was told uh, that he was to take off his shoes and he was standing on holy ground. Uh, and, uh, and yet he was invited by the Father. There, in, in the life and ministry of Moses, as he led the people of Israel into the promised land or to, up to the promised land, there were many times that he called upon the Father for help. He, he had uh, unlimited access to the Father. And so the same thing is true for us as well. David wrote, it is good for me to draw near to God. It's a privilege wherever we are, whatever we are going through, if we will be willing to draw close to the Father, the Father has said, I will draw close to you. So how do you draw close to the Father? You do it by praying. And you make sure that your life is cleared up with, from sin and, and that you're willing to do whatever the Lord reveals you to do. You are privileged to go to the Father. Not everybody has that privilege. Not everybody. Joseph Scriven wrote, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So we have the wonderful privilege to go before the Father in prayer. What? The privilege of prayer. The second inner, uh, word or question is who? Who is he talking about here? Well, it, it's the people of prayer. And that is seen in the little word us, us, therefore, let us. Well, who is the us? Well, that's a professing believer. Uh, prayer is practiced by people who believe in God and who have a desire to communicate with him. Sometimes you may ask the question or hear someone ask the question, does God hear the prayer of an unbeliever? Well, yes and no. God hears everything that everybody says. But uh, he doesn't always respond to everybody, and especially a believer. Why should the father respond to somebody who doesn't believe in him? Again, ask the question, does God answer the prayers of an unbeliever? Well, I think that question answers itself, and it is answered in the word unbeliever. An unbeliever doesn't pray to the father, but if he does, when does an unbeliever pray? Well, he tries to bargain with God. He might say, oh Lord, my, my wife, my husband, my child, my mother, they're sick, they've been in an accident, they're dying, and oh God, if you'll just spare them, I'll serve you, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. But you know, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone that comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. On Sunday evenings, I'm preaching through a series of, called Life's in, uh, Indispensables. There are certain things that are just indispensable, certain things that you can't do without. Without the shedding of blood, there'll be no forgiveness of sin. There must be the shedding of blood. If it wasn't for the shed blood of Jesus, you wouldn't be saved. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you don't have faith in the Lord and you're not a believer in the Lord and you're not committed to the Lord, why would you think that, that God would want to answer your prayers? An unbeliever is separated from the Father because of sin. Isaiah tells us in the 59th chapter, the Lord's ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. His mouth is not mute that he cannot speak. It is your sins that have separated between you and the Father that he cannot and will not hear you. So an unconfessed sinner 
An unbeliever has sin as a wall separating him from the Lord. And there is only one prayer that a sinner can pray that God will hear and God will respond to, and that is, oh God, be merciful and forgive me a sinner. That's the beginning place. And once a person confesses that he is a sinner, and once the person exercises his, his prayer, his, his faith in the Lord, then God will open the door to him, and God will anxiously respond to anything that he asks in keeping with his will. But you must be a believer. Non-believers do not pray. And so we have the wonderful privilege as people of the Lord. Let us who know him respond to him. Look at verse 14. And verse 16, in verse 14, he says, since we have, let us hold fast. And in verse 16, he says, let us draw near so that we may receive. So the us and the we all refer to the people of God. If you are a child of God, if you have trusted Christ as your savior, then you have open, continuous access to the father. The privilege of prayer the people of prayer. Notice the third thing, and that's how. How has to do with the posture of prayer. He says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence, not cockiness, not being braggadocious or bold, just rushing in where angels fear to tread, as we sometimes say. But the word confidence can also be translated boldly, but it, it, it literally means with assurance. That, that you can go to the throne of grace, you can pray to the Father with the assurance that God's going to hear and he's going to respond. Now we know that sometimes God's response to our prayers is conditional in that we must ask in keeping with his will. We just can't go in before the Lord and say, oh God, I'd, I'd like to have a Cadillac or a Lincoln or you know, whatever. I, I want a new house or a job or a million dollars or whatever. It's always conditional in that it is in keeping with and in conformity with the will of the Father, with the will of the Father. So we can go before the Lord with confidence. The word confidence not only means uh, with, with boldness, uh, but it also means freedom of speech, freedom of speech. We say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that, that you can go to the Father in prayer and you can feel free to share with him whatever is on your heart without fear of intimidation, without fear that your confidence is going to be betrayed. What you share with the father in private stays between you and the father. He's not going to broadcast it through all of heaven. He's not going to trumpet, blow the trumpet and announce it to the whole wide world. Oh, look at what she did. Oh, look at what he did. Ha, ha, ha. No. But you have the freedom. Just like if you have a very, very, very close friend, someone that you trust, someone that you can confide in, someone that you know that you could tell the deepest secrets of your heart to that individual and they would never betray you. They would not gossip and share that news with everybody else. Therefore, you would have the freedom to just share with the Father whatever it is that you need to share with him. And that's the way it is between us and the Father, that we have the confidence and the freedom to share with him. God the Father has committed himself to prayer. God the Son has assured us that he will respond and the Holy Spirit will assist us in our praying. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that there are times when we pray and, and, and we just don't know how to put into words what it is that's bothering us. 
Uh, I remember uh, the little humorous story about a, a brother and a sister and, and, and they were new in the faith and, and the little sister didn't really know how to pray. And, and so she, her prayers consisted of, Dear Father, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, O, P. And he, she just quoted the alphabet to him and the little brother started making fun of her. That's not a prayer. She said, yes, it is. I, I, I can give the Lord the letters and he can put it together for me. And you know, that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. We, we try to communicate with the Father. We, we, we try to share what, what's bothering us and we don't know exactly how to put it into words. The Holy Spirit takes over and I, I imagine in my mind and in my heart that the Holy Spirit is looking at the Father and he says, no, Father, what he's really trying to say is, not that the Lord doesn't understand, but it's just the Holy Spirit will assist you in your prayers to the Father and he, the Holy Spirit will help you to express to the Father what you're trying to say to them. I, I like the, the idea of the, the posture of prayer of, of being free to speak with the Lord and to talk to the Lord and approach him uh, by an illustration that Charles Spurgeon used about ringing the bell. He says that prayer pulls the, the rope that is attached to the great bell in heaven. And he says, sometimes uh, a people just very barely pull the rope. You ever see a little child that's first time they've ever seen a, a, the rope that's attached to a, a bell in the church tower and it just kind of plays with the rope. It just, maybe just kind of gently pulls on it. Maybe get a little ding out of it. People do prayers like that sometimes. They really don't know how to pull the rope. So sometimes it's just like a little child just timidly pulling the rope. And then Spurgeon says, other, other people on occasions will really jerk it. I mean, they're, they're just wham, wham, wham. And we do that when, when we're, boy, we're in, a, we're in a fix and we need a, an emergency help. And so we just, we haven't prayed very often, but boy, when we pray, we jerk it. But then he says, the third kind of prayer is the person who grabs hold of the rope with confidence and he pulls continually with all of his might and he rings the great bell of heaven continuously until he gets an answer to the bell. That's what you do. You just keep knocking, you keep asking, you keep seeking. He that will continue to ask will eventually receive. He who continues to knock will have it eventually open unto him. He who continues to seek, it will be eventually found by him. Those were the promises of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Ask, seek, search, and find. God says, continue, pray without ceasing, Paul said. Jesus said, don't get weary and faint when you pray. Pray continually to the Lord. The fourth idea is where? Where do we pray? When we pray, when we bow our heads, if I'm here in the pulpit, if I'm in my office, if I'm at home, if I'm in the car driving down the highway. Now, I don't close my eyes when I pray driving down the highway. I wouldn't advise you to do that either. But you can pray with your eyes open. You don't have to. The reason why we ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, we just don't want you in church or somewhere else to be distracted. But there are different ways that you can pray. You can pray with outstretched hands. You can pray by laying down on the floor. You can pray by kneeling. You can pray with your head opened up and your eyes opened wide, talking to the Lord. That's, that's okay to pray that way. Uh, there are many examples in the Bible. Lift up your face, lift up your eyes unto the Lord and pray to the God of the mountains and so forth. So uh, we, we, we pray, but when we pray, we're, we're, we're praying to the God who's on the throne. 
on the throne. Now, this is not just any throne that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You know, there's the throne of judgment. Paul talks about the bema of Christ, the judgment seat, uh, the throne that we will appear to uh, and receive our rewards. There is in the book of Revelation, the great white throne judgment of God. You don't want to go there. That's for the lost person who will hear his sentence of condemnation for all eternity. Depart from me. I never knew you. But there is that throne of the Lord that's known as the throne of grace. Grace. And you don't have to be afraid to approach God who sits on the throne of grace. Notice what he says in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with freedom of speech to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when you approach the throne of God, it is the throne of mercy. It is not the throne of judgment when you pray to the Father as a believer, as a child of God. I have children, like many of you, you have children. When, in, when they, especially they were little and uh, they would come to me and they'd need something, Dad, they ad, ask Dad, Dad, would you do this? Or Mom, would you do this? Well, if, I was, if it was possible for me to do that, I would. If in my judgment I felt like that, no, you don't really need to do this or that, maybe this other way. But they, would, they weren't afraid to approach me and, and to ask things of me because I'm their father and they're my children. Uh, a stranger? Mm, no, probably wouldn't do that unless it was just a special occasion. My children could come to me anytime ask whatever they wanted. Might not always give it to them, but I'd certainly do what I could. They were welcome to come. They, they knew that I wasn't going to scold them. I wasn't going to reprimand them. I wouldn't, you know, James talks about this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. What does upbraideth not mean? He's not going to say, well, what did you do with the last thing I gave you? You just wasted that. And you want me to hear, you want me to give you something else? James says, God's not going to beat you over the head with what you did and failed to do. He gives to all men generously and upbraideth not. It's the throne of grace. And so we can approach the Father. Now, in America, there exists what we call the Supreme Court. We're going to find out about what powerful and authority the Supreme Court has in just a few days when they announce their decision about same-sex marriage. But in our country and in our freedom and in our democracy, there are several layers of, of, of courts that we can appeal to. We can be tried about something, but then we can appeal to something higher and higher until finally you come to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in our judiciary area and in our democracy, that's just the highest court of appeal that one can go to in our country. Well, if I may say that God has a Supreme Court, God is our Supreme Court, in any appeal that we make, he is the final authority. He has the authority and the power to make decisions, and it is he who is in control. The word throne suggests exclusiveness. Nobody else can do that. Not just anyone can approach a person who sits on the throne. No one may go to them without a special invitation, but that's not so with the Father. His throne is approachable by anyone at any time. And so James says, let us ask of God who gives to all men liberally. It's the place of prayer is where it is. And then number five, the period of prayer. 
Webster's Dictionary defines the word period as a portion of time, the time that goes by during which something is going on. So something is going on in your life, it's time for you to pray. The writer of Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace and receive help in time of need. Notice what it says in verse 16, the last part of it, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A literal translation of that is to help in the nick of time. You know, I've told you many times, God's never late about anything. God's never early about anything. God is always on time. And I know that you think, well, well man, God's never going to answer my prayer. Time's running out. If I don't get an answer now, it, well, I'm in trouble. And just right at the nick of time, right at the last moment, the Lord comes through for us. He has a way and a purpose and a meaning behind all of that. He, he's just, he loves us. He cares about us. And, and just when we think we're at our rope's end, God comes through for us. The help is always appropriate at the appropriate moment when God says, now's the time, then God will respond. William Poole wrote, just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is true never forsaking all the way through, giving for burdens, pleasures anew, just when I need him most. Just when I need him most. Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. The final word is the word why, the purpose of prayer. What is the purpose of prayer? Well, twofold, he tells us in verse 16, to receive mercy, and to find grace. Notice what he says, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, freedom of speech, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy, find grace. Mercy for the past, grace for the present and future. I think first, first time you pray as a sinner, you may not use the word mercy, but that's what you're asking the Father for. God be merciful, just like blind Bartimaeus sitting by the wayside, crying out, oh, David, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's what we need is mercy. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But mercy is God withholding from you what you do deserve. You deserve judgment. You don't deserve an answer to prayer. You don't need to deserve the blessings uh, and gifts from the Father. But he gives it to you and mercy, that you may receive mercy, that you may obtain mercy, that you may possess mercy. David, the psalmist said, God is plentiful in mercy and that he pities them that fear him and gives mercy to them. When David prayed his prayer of forgiveness, remember he committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed to cover up the sin. So he was guilty of both adultery and of murder. Nathan the prophet was sent to him by the father and, and he, he convicted, pointed his finger of conviction at David and said, you're the guilty one, you're the man. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of confession and his prayer for forgiveness. And he starts off verse one of Psalm 51. 
Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Loving kindness is another word for mercy. You put love and kindness together, and love and kindness together becomes mercy. And so David is praying, O God, be merciful to me according to your loving kindness, according to your love and your kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. So we need mercy. But we also find grace. The believer can find grace to help in the time of need, just at the right time, the good time. The Bible tells us in the words of the Apostle Paul of 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So you'll find grace, God's unmerited favor, waiting to be showered out and poured out upon you. The believer receives mercy for the past sins and grace for future trials. This brings me then to the conclusion of the message, and for this I want you to look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, therefore, therefore. You've heard the old saying. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to look to see what it's there for. Why is it there? Therefore, therefore what? We'll go back to verse 14. There in verse 14, he says it again, therefore. In other words, everything that he has said in chapter four leading up to verse 14, he said based on the first 13 verses of chapter four because of what he said there, therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the son, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathizing with our weaknesses, but the one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And what he is saying here is, look, listen, therefore, therefore, Jesus is our great high priest. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament days, you remember they had the tabernacle, the temple, the tent that they went into and it was divided to a holy place and a holy of holies. Uh, the holy place was a place that a priest could go to, but in the holy of holies, oh no, not just any priest could go to the holy of holies. The holy of holies, it was separated by a huge veil, curtain. And in, in that holy of holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, there was only one priest who could go into the holy of holies. He was called the high priest. He was the, he was the muckety muck. He was the, he was the big guy. He was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies, but he couldn't just go in either anytime he wanted to. There was only one day out of the year that the high priest go into the Holy of Holies, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And the only way that he could go in there and come out alive was to take with him blood sacrifice. And he would take the blood of a sacrifice as the high priest and he would take his incense in there with him because he'd fill the place up with incense because nobody could look in, upon the Lord and live. And so the incense gave the, the fog or the smoke because uh, the Lord would, would, would come down and hover on the lid of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. There were angels, a seraphim on one end, a seraphim on the other, and their wings were spread out and the Lord's presence would come down. And so he'd have the incense smoke to fill the place up so that he wouldn't see the Lord because you, live, you saw the Lord, you died because he's holy and you're sinful and you just disintegrate. So he would have that incense and he'd fill it up and he'd take that blood and he'd sprinkle it on the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant for the atonement at one month. Sacrifice made so that you could be one with the Father 
And so the high priest would do that for the people. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is our high priest. He's gone all the way through the heavens. He has appeared into the presence of God the Father himself. He has offered his own shed blood on the cross. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the tabernacle was a pattern of what it's like in heaven. And so Jesus took his blood, and if there's the Ark of the Covenant there, that's where he sprinkled his blood for you and for me. He is our great high priest. But not only that, he says he can sympathize with us. He can empathize with us because he's, he's been a human. He, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was a literal, real, live person, human being with flesh and blood and bones. He grew up just like any other ordinary person would except he was the son of God in the flesh. And he lived to be 33 years of age. He began his public ministry at the age of 30. He was crucified at 33. But he was tempted in all ways. That doesn't mean that he was tempted with every single sin that you and I are tempted with. But in every area of those sins represent, he, he went through all of that. Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. Jesus knows what it is to be grieving and, and brokenhearted and hunger and thirst. And, 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 and if you cut him, he bled. If you slapped him, he hurt. You could talk to him and walk with him and fellowship with him. And there is no problem you have that you cannot take to Jesus. And he would say to you, my child, I understand what you're going through. I've experienced it myself. And he can sympathize with you. And he can empathize with you. And you can find mercy. And you can have grace to help if you're his child. Father God, what confidence, what assurance we have as your children that we can come before you at any time with any need and find help. And Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, there, there may be someone here today who has the biggest need of all and that is to be forgiven of sin. And for the first time in their lives, perhaps Holy Spirit, you've brought them to conviction. You've pricked their hearts and they've realized that they are sinners and that they need to trust Jesus and be saved. And so Holy Spirit, take the word, truth of your word and apply it to their hearts and, and then be their guide. Help them to see that they need to confess you before men that you may confess them before the Father. And if they're here today looking for satisfaction in Christ, they can find it if they're willing to say yes to him. So as we come to this time of invitation, Father, we pray that your will will be done. Holy Spirit, you do the guidance. And Jesus, all the glory goes to you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? And Andre is going to lead us. And if there's a need that you have, you please come forward.